Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. We've said it, but all scripture is profitable. Some is more profitable. We uh, introduced the book of Romans to you by saying that this book is more profitable than other books. It's one of the most profitable books of all of Scripture to understand in the New Testament, the book of Romans. I step into it and stepped into it with trepidation because of that fact, but we're continuing to make our way through it. And then we come to this section that I would say again, all Scripture is profitable, but some is more profitable. And as Romans is the most, I think, profitable book of all of the New Testament, this section of Romans is the core of that book. We are going to continue to walk through it. We've been in it for a couple of weeks. If you've missed those, you certainly can pick up those messages and probably would be helpful to have continuity as we walk through the book of Romans. So we direct you to the webpage. But this morning, again, as we've said the last two weeks, I ask you, do you hear? Do you hear the words that Paul speaks in verse 21. But now, do you hear them? How do you hear them? How do you hear but now? Last week, as I quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said that we first, in order to hear those words, must hear the words that precede it. And we spend a lot of weeks in those words as well, beginning at chapter 1 and verse 18. And he says, we must hear those words about our sin because of this fact. No man can be a Christian without realizing his utter hopelessness. It is of no use to talk about coming to Christ if you do not see your hopelessness and your helplessness. You cannot just come to him for help or for something else. There is but one reason for going to Christ, and that is that you realize that no flesh, no flesh, no man can possibly be justified by the law in the sight of God. Every mouth has been stopped, and the whole world lieth guilty before God, as Paul puts it. It is so important to hear those words but you don't hear them as you ought, except you hear the words preceding it. Our society doesn't hear those words, but now, except they understand the words that precede it. In my Sunday school class this morning, we're walking through the Lord's Prayer, and I made this comment to them, and I think it has application this morning. In the Lord's Prayer, 
Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, is a supplication. It's not a statement. It's a, it's a prayer to God that our world would see God as holy. That's a prerequisite, I think, for understanding the but now. And we live more and more, I think, in a society that is becoming more and more secular. And my experience over the 42 years of ministry is that people do not hear these words as well as they did when I began. They don't hear them because their hearts aren't prepared to hear them. Because as we become more and more secularized, as we push God more and more to the margins of our society and of our lives... We don't see our need because we don't see who God is. But as God in his grace and mercy shows us who he is and then in in contrast to that, who we are, that he is righteous, perfectly righteous, and we are not, that's that's when we hear the but now, when we realize we must, we must go to a place that will help us with that gap, to bridge that gap. Christ is not merely, as as Lloyd-Jones said, Christ is not merely something that we add to our lives. And much of the time, I think, today, that's the way he's used, that we somehow will add him to his life. If he'll make my life better in some way, in some dimension, that's the way the gospel is often presented today that he'll add to your life. And that is not fully false, but if that's the primary premise on which you come to Christ, you will be sorely disappointed. And in fact, the danger is that you will cast him off as soon as you feel like you've been taken in that promise. Ray Comfort, who is an evangelist, shares an illustration. I'm not going to share all of it, but the basis of that illustration is if you were this morning to board a plane in Aberdeen, South Dakota, and at the door, the the stewardess handed you a parachute and said, put it on your back, it'll make your trip better. You'd get about halfway to Minneapolis and say, forget this and take it off. It would not make your seat more comfortable. It would be a burdensome thing and, and you would realize the fallacy of that promise. It doesn't make your trip better. And so the danger is you just take it off and cast it aside. How different would it be if you got onto that plane in Aberdeen, South Dakota this morning and they said, put this parachute on because halfway to Minneapolis this plane is going to go down. How much differently would you treat that parachute on your back? There's nothing that would allow you to take it off. And no one would take it off. You would keep it there, no matter how uncomfortable the trip might get. Because you know that your very life depends on it. You see, that's the way it is with the gospel. Until we realize how desperately we need Christ... We're in danger of casting them aside. It's, it's the kind of thing that happened in the New Testament. It's the kind of thing that happened 
Regarding Demas, Paul was in a prison. Paul knew that at this time he was not going to escape from this prison. He knew that he would die. And there were people who ministered to him, although many very tepidly ministered to him in that prison. They were fearful because they knew the consequences of being attached to Paul. But they continued, some to help him and minister to him. But there was one whom Paul described like this. He said, do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. He has deserted me. He's taken off the parachute and gone to greener pastures. And you see the danger and the fallacy of, of not understanding how desperately we need him causes the whole Christian life to get distorted. And what the Bible would admonish us is is go on hearing the but now. Hear it for the glory that it is and, and keep on hearing it. Keep on hearing it as you walk through this Christian life. One of the things that that will will help in in your life is it will help you to be more willing to see your own sin and acknowledge your sin and confess your sin and, and walk in fellowship with God because you know that Christ is your righteousness, because you know that he is the one in whom you look to. It isn't your own ability to conjure it up in yourself And so you're willing to acknowledge your need. Listen to what John says in his his, um, letter, first letter. He says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I write these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And here's how he's described. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Why Why that description? Because that righteousness is our only hope. And it's the hope that allows us to open up our lives as we walk with him, as we continue to hear the but now and to be honest before God and before man and really allow him to work in our lives. Christ is our righteousness. What we've already learned here, let me just quickly say it and then we're going to move on. Christ, our righteousness, the righteousness of God has been revealed. It's been manifested, the scripture says. It's it's now clearly revealed able to be seen in how God could forgive sin because Christ paid the penalty for that. He bore our sin and accomplished a righteousness that he's willing to give to us, a righteousness that comes apart from the law. What does it mean, apart from the law? Does the law have no place in our lives? You can look and listen to last week and help understand that better, but, but it isn't that it has no place. But this is what it means when it says a righteousness that has been manifest apart from the law. It means that Christ, Christ satisfies, satisfies the demands of the law, which we could not do. 
for us. When you hear the but now, is that what you hear? That Christ satisfies the demands of the law that stands over us and, and uh, we, we are able to not have the law extract from us what it would want. He satisfies the demands of the law. It isn't that the law passes away. It isn't that it doesn't stand over us in judgment and reveal our sin. But the demands of that law, Christ satisfies. We who couldn't live perfectly get to have his perfection, his living perfectly, credited to our account. We who don't die perfectly can have him who died perfectly and what he accomplished credited to our account and counted to us as righteousness. Christ attains a perfection which he offers to us. That's the gospel. That's a gospel that, and a righteousness that has been revealed as a gift. And we said it a number of times as we've walked through all of Romans, but really the essence of what Romans says to us is that God provides what he requires of us. He provides it in, in the work of Christ, and we look to that work as our hope. Now, the question this morning is, how does that become ours? How does that righteousness outside of us that can be given to us and credited to our account, Abraham, it says, believe God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Christ's work as as he looked ahead in hope to the Messiah coming. Christ's work was credited to his account. We'll, we'll come to that, how the sins of the Old Testament in this text, it's why it's so important, for a time were passed over. The sins of Abraham were passed over for a time, not ultimately, but for a time because there was going to be a righteousness that would satisfy the demands of the law for all of those Old Testament saints who looked ahead in faith just as it is for us who look back to the cross. But the question is, how do we attain it? How does it become ours? And the scripture says, by faith, look at this text. Look at particularly verses 22 to 24. It says, the righteousness of God, that's that righteousness that he's accomplished by perfectly living, perfectly dying. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Just that much. In fact, just the first part of that we want to look at this morning. How does that righteousness become ours? What does in essence, saving faith look like? What does a faith that saves, that appropriates that righteousness look like as we flesh it out? I think it has three elements. I think saving faith, saving faith in the life of a believer has three elements. First of all, it, it pertains to knowledge, the knowledge of the gospel, the knowledge of what Christ has done. Secondly, it has to do with assent, to giving assent to that knowledge. In other words, saying, 
This is true. It is true. It is true. The knowledge of it, the truth of it, but there's more than that. It's not just those two things. It's thirdly, a casting ourselves upon it, a trust in it. So knowledge, assent, and trust. One of those elements by itself isn't enough. It takes all of those things together. All of those things make up what I think is true saving faith. An example. Scripture says Satan. Satan believes. He has knowledge, certainly. He has a better knowledge of what Christ has done than you and I have. He's a, he's a good theologian in that sense. He has knowledge. So what's the difference between true saving faith and, and what Satan knows? The difference is Satan knows the truth and declares the truth in the sense of assent to the truth, but he hates the truth. He hates it. He hates it. The difference between that and what we're talking about is that Satan hates it, and for us we begin to see the treasure that it is. That's the way it's described in the New Testament again and again and again as a treasure, a treasure that has been found. Treasure. The gospel is a treasure to those who experience true saving faith. And, and what it fleshes itself out in is that it's a commitment. It's a commitment to that treasure. It's a commitment to that treasure. And part of that commitment is looking away, looking away from ourselves to that righteousness. Fully looking away from ourselves to that righteousness. It's laying our sins on that treasure, Jesus. Laying them on him. And realizing that he took the penalty of our sin, past, present, and future on the cross. All of it is laid on him. In the Old Testament picture, in the book of Leviticus, again and again, when the sacrifice was made, the hands were put on, the priests put their hands on the sacrifice. Why? Symbolically saying, the sins are laid on the sacrifice. They're there. Scapegoat, the hands were laid, and the scapegoat was sent out. The idea that it's laid on him, our sins are laid on him, And we boast in Christ and his righteousness alone. That's what true saving faith is. It doesn't look to ourselves, but it looks to Christ. Knowledge, assent, and casting the full weight of our hope on that truth. That he bore our sin and provided a righteousness for us. Now, I think it's important to say here this morning this, to make this point. It's, I think it's crucial to make it. It talks about faith in the scripture here. It says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. But it's important to understand that it's not the faith. It's not our faith that saves us. It's not our faith that saves us. 
Faith is the instrument. It's not the grounds of our salvation. Faith is the instrument. It's not the grounds of our salvation. It's the channel, but it's not the grounds of our salvation. Why is that important? Why is that important to understand? Because the Bible says that faith is a gift from God. Faith is a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, not of our own doing, it is the gift of God. Even the faith is a gift, but it's a gift that connects us. It connects us to the one who saves us. The grounds of your salvation is is not your faith. Why do we make that distinction? Why is it important to understand that? Because if we don't, faith becomes a work. It becomes a work. Faith isn't a work. And if you begin to see faith as a work, if you begin to see faith as a work you do to get the righteousness of Christ, then you'll begin to ask yourself questions like this. Is my faith enough? Do I have enough faith? Do I have enough faith? Or you might go on to ask the question, I did early in my Christian life when somebody didn't fully help me to see this. Is, is your faith sincere enough? You see the enough part of it? Is it enough faith? Is it sincere faith? And when you begin to ask those questions, you, you start to look at your faith as the grounds of your salvation which again comes back to works of the law. It's a work. It's a work in that sense. Scripture says faith is a gift. It's a gift God gives us. He opens our eyes. He opens our ears to hear and to see and to see glory and to see treasure. But the grounds of our salvation is that treasure, not our faith. Your faith doesn't save you. Christ saves you. If you get it wrong, you'll struggle in the Christian life. You will struggle. You will struggle, and Satan will use that to help you struggle. And, and, and if you have a other kind of personality, you'll move from struggle to boasting. You'll begin to boast. Even if it's subtle, even if it's subtle, you will begin to boast in the fact that I have faith and he doesn't, or she doesn't. Faith is the connector. It's a gift from God. And the scripture says in verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By the law of works. It is not by works, lest no man should boast. Faith is a gift. There's no place to say in a self-righteous way, I believed and he didn't as if I did it. Christ does it. Christ is the grounds of our salvation for all who believe. He's the grounds. Is that how you see it? Is that what you look to when, when you hear the but now? Do you go to the fact that I believed, or do you go to the fact 
a righteousness from God? Do you look to Christ? Do you look outside of yourself for your hope? We don't look inside, we look out. We look out to the finished, completed work of Christ. And the scripture says, for all who believe, there's no distinction. What that means, and we'll talk more about that later, is for all men, whether Jew or Gentile, that's the argument that he's had throughout the scripture. Gentiles need it, Jews need it, all men need it. For all have sinned, all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this morning, what is the grounds of your salvation? How do you functionally live it out? Do you subtly, maybe, but do it, take your own temperature? Or do you look to Christ? Do you look to him and to his finished work? The scripture says that Jesus declared it's finished on the cross. It's finished. And then Paul, if you turn over to Romans chapter 8, look at how he put it there. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. He's our righteousness. He's our righteousness. When you hear the but now, but now a righteousness from God is revealed that is by faith, do you look to Christ? Let me finish this morning. Let me conclude with this. Remember, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. Apart from human doing, even faith, even faith is a gift, but all of it's a gift. If that's true, then three things, three things can be true today. Three things are true about the gospel. And that's this. First of all, we can know we are righteous right now. You can know that. You can know that you are righteous enough right now. That's that's crucial. That's crucial because most of the world, most of the world, all the other religions of the world are attempting to attain a righteousness in one form or another. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about looking to one who already attained it, looking to one who already completed it, all righteousness. We'll come to that as we continue to walk through Romans. The first Adam sinned. The first Adam in the garden didn't attain all righteousness. He failed. The second Adam comes, Christ And he did attain all righteousness. He was confirmed, as the theologians would say, he was confirmed in righteousness and is willing to give that to us right now. Not not after we've attained something. The scripture says you can't attain it. It's a finished work that you are connected to by faith by casting yourself on that and that alone. Again, the scripture says it's finished. Again, the scripture says there's now no condemnation to those that are in Christ right now. Not at the end when we tally up the score. There's no tallying up the score. There's no tallying up the score. 
Christ is our righteousness and him alone. Secondly, salvation can be certain. Because it can happen now, it can be certain. You can know that you are righteous enough right now. Listen to what Paul said. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring that work to completion at the day of Christ. And what is that work? That work that he works in us is the righteousness that he gives to us. Christ is our righteousness. So you can know it now and you can be certain of it now. You don't have to wait to know that. That's getting the gospel wrong. And the times when Satan comes to you and wants you to believe that lie as a believer, what do you do? What do you do? Don't take your temperature. Look to Christ, to him and what he's accomplished on the cross. And finally, goes without saying, there's no room for boasting. There's none. There's no room for boasting except in Christ, except in the righteousness of Christ. Can you imagine just for a minute, can you imagine just for a minute what it would be like if there were boasting in heaven? That'd be an awful place, wouldn't it? That'd be an awful place. Even subtle boasting. Yes, I believe, but he didn't. I. Emphasis on I. None of us like that. There, there is something about somebody who comes into a room and is full of themselves that turns us off. You, you just are repelled by that. That's not going to happen in heaven. That's not going to happen in heaven. There is not going to be any boasting in heaven. People are going to realize that it's God and God alone who saves. It's the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of Christ alone that saves. It's why Romans chapter 11 ends the way it does. You see, we're coming to a point, it'll be a while, but we're coming to a point where we will switch gears from Romans chapter 11 to Romans chapter 12. And the way that gear is switched is, Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God, and he goes on to tell you then how, to, how our lives ought to be different. But it's in light of the but now, hearing the but now. Because you've heard the but now, this is the way your lives ought to be. But as he concludes chapter 11, as he concludes what Christ has done and what God has done, this is how he says it. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That is what's going to be like in heaven. For from him, through him, and to him are all things regarding righteousness. To him be the glory. I take none of it. I rest in his work alone. I hope that's where you stand this morning. I hope that's how you hear the but now. And I hope that you know that it can be a reality now and certain now. We're going to sing together as we close this morning as we glory in the righteousness of Christ. Let's stand together.
made me to know you but you when dead and sin you gave me new life now my heart is filled with love for you Jesus Father thank you for your spirit's work in Opening my eyes to the Christ of Calvary, Jesus, you gave your life in exchange for mine. Now I will live for you who placed a crown of grace on my head you covered me in robes of righteousness forever I will always be yours Jesus Father thank you for your spirit's work in me for of Calvary, Jesus, you gave your life in exchange for mine. Now I will live for you who died, Jesus. Your Spirit's work in me For opening my eyes To the Christ of Calvary Jesus, you gave your life In exchange for mine Now I will live for you We pray with you and we're going to go to Father. We're grateful for the glory of a righteousness that's been revealed that is by faith. And Father, we declare to you this morning that we look away from anything in us to Christ. And that Christ is our righteousness. The robes of righteousness we wear, he accomplished. And we thank you for that. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Go in God's peace.